With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show and a happy snowy Monday to the Pacific Northwest. Glad to have you with us on the Radio Northwest Network. And of course, I'll entertain phone calls from all over our three-state region. That is the region served by the Pacific Northwest, the Radio Northwest Network, for the last 24 years. And boy, did the weather give us a wallop. A lot of snow, a lot of cold, and in the next couple of days, you can expect the melt-off. And that transition, that is likely to be the uh, trickiest part of this as it goes from probably the 30s at best tomorrow uh, up to the 40s, uh, pushing up toward 50 degrees, believe it or not, by Wednesday. At least that's the local forecast in my neck of the woods. And boy, that transition, that's always the toughest time as the snow starts to melt but is still on the ground, and now it's wet and slippery as well. In any case, glad to have you with me. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, and we've got a lot to talk about this uh, on Martin Luther King Monday, uh, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, well, we're going to put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I'd encourage you to vote in our poll on X, the former Twitter poll, now, now known as the poll on X. This one's bizarre. Can you imagine that a top member of the Chinese Communist Party is the second largest foreign landowner in the United States, bar none, a Chinese billionaire who with deep ties to the Chinese Communist Party. No, he's not an American. He is a Chinese national, and he's a big deal member of the Chinese Communist Party. In fact... He has, uh, he owns a major investment company, but he's got extensive ties to the Chinese government, CCP membership, executive roles in Chinese Communist Party affiliated organizations. I gotta tell you something, and he owns 200,000 acres of land in Oregon, and he's owned that land for the better part of the last decade, and it never really came to light. And if you say, well, Lars, how would anybody have known? Because foreign nationals who own land in the United States are supposed to be, well, at least registered.
record so that you understand these are foreign nationals who own land in our country. And there's a big concern about this. The other thing you should know that a lot of the news coverage on this does not tell you, and that is, and it, it strikes me for, you know, the fact that equity is now a very popular word. Is it equitable? that if foreign nationals, especially foreign nationals from communist China, can own land in America, you might wonder, can Americans own land in China? And the answer would be no. So the way I frame today's ex-poll, should we forbid land purchases by any citizens of any countries that will not let Americans buy land there, like communist China? You can find the poll on X at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, I want to start off this way because this past weekend has been a very difficult one for people in the Pacific Northwest. There are literally hundreds of thousands of people who have lost power. Tens of thousands of them still have no power today. Many people have been in the dark since Friday night, since Saturday morning. And in many cases, the utilities, and I say God bless all the linemen and the personnel out there who are trying to reestablish power. But when you saw as many trees down, as many limbs down, as many line breaks, and everything else, you have to wonder. A frozen Monday seems like a great time to remind you of some of the lunatic decisions that politicians have saddled us with. 72,000 customers sitting in the dark with uh, no power and no heat, and that's just in PGE territory. More tens of thousands who depend on PPNL. And Puget Sound Energy this weekend was warning customers in the Puget Sound area who still had power that they were supposed to cut back, turn the heat down, turn off all the lights you can, because supplies are tight. And you say, well, supplies are tight, Lars. There's a storm going on. No politician is going to be able to stop the storms and the wind and the downed trees here in the Pacific Northwest that have damaged lines. I don't make a, de a big deal of that. I understand that kind of damage is going to happen. But consider the frigid future that liberal politicians have in mind for us. A ban on natural gas. It hasn't happened yet, but they're already starting to ban the use of natural gas in homes and businesses in the building codes of both Oregon and Washington. And they're doing it in one of the sneakiest ways. They'll say, why, we haven't banned natural gas. We've said, though, if you decide to put natural gas in new construction, homes and businesses and business buildings, well, then you're going to have to meet all these other criteria, and it's going to cost you a lot of money. So you know what's going to happen? The folks who have a lot of money in the bank and, and can afford it are going to be able to afford to have natural gas put into their home. The rest of you, average people, are going to get cut out of that choice by plain old economics. And I'm sure that some of you who lost electricity this past weekend still had a natural gas fireplace in your home, in many cases, to fight that cold. That will not be an option in new homes and businesses in most of Oregon and Washington. We've already had cities like Eugene that have tried to ban natural gas. Imagine going through a power outage where if you have natural gas, you have that fireplace. You have some source of heat. You have that hot water coming out of the natural gas hot water heater. Except the powers that be, the liberal elites in government who've been chosen by the voters, have said, we don't want you to have that option. 
In fact, we don't want the pipes to even be put into new neighborhoods so that you can have the option in the future. We want to cut you off from it altogether. It won't be an option in new homes and businesses. Consider that decision. Then, shutdowns of almost a dozen coal-fired electric plants that are coming in the next few years. They've already closed down two of them, Centralia and Boardman, without any firm idea of what's going to replace all the power, the electricity that used to come out of those plants. Power demand is forecast to jump 10% in the next several years, while supplies are forecast to drop by 7. Plans, they are not final yet, but plans to tear out Snake River hydropower again without any source of replacement. A ban in on building new nuclear power plants, even though the Northwest is home to some of the companies like NewScale that have made the best new designs for atomic electricity. And maybe when storms like this hit, Companies would be better prepared to fix problems quickly if they weren't forced by the politicians to focus on wind and solar and diversity hiring. I also want to mention these couple of things that are happening today. Tonight, Iowa hits the caucuses first in the nation. Donald Trump is likely to win very, very bigly tonight. It's going to be huge because Trump is probably going to get 60 to 70 percent of the vote. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis will divvy up the rest. MLK, one of America's great conservatives, and I'll have thoughts on that a little bit later on. And Max Trains, absolutely worthless. Can you imagine a kind of transit that becomes more than useless. It becomes a, a, a boat anchor when you hit weather like this. If that makes sense to any of you, I'd be glad to take the naysayer call. You want to call in? It's 866-HEY-LARS. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Coming up, a couple of thoughts on light rail and transit and how useless rail becomes when the weather turns cold. You're listening to Monday on the Radio Northwest Network. As we step another strong take from President Biden on AI and the weather. Helping web tech the web telescope. My God, what is this? Is the Lawson Show? That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. Weather helping web tech the web web, te web telescope. The Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. Your body well right. You know you got a right to say. This is the Northwest nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. The biggest cities in the Pacific Northwest have already spent literally tens of billions of your dollars building largely useless light rail systems and they have on the drawing board well over 100 billion dollars more. It's been a Despite that massive so-called investment, that's what politicians tell you when they're going to spend your money on something and you see no direct return. They say, why, it's an investment. 
It's an investment by the public. Transit ridership has been on the decline for the past couple of decades, not just during or after or because of the pandemic. And then snow and ice and cold shows up, which is not exactly extraordinary for this region. And light rail becomes a 40-ton paperweight. On the snow and ice days, when this number of riders, including people who don't routinely ride transit, it's all shut down. Compare it to my industry. On days of wacky weather, people who would never listen to talk radio or news radio, they tune in because it's their lifeline when things go south. In simple terms, light rail is the Goldilocks train. It won't run when it's too hot. It won't only runs when it's just right. And by the way, air on light rail fits. Transit buses at about 5% the price tag of rail run just fine, even if you have to chain them up. Max Light Rail, the darling of political progressives, is the little train that couldn't. But with billions of dollars already committed and all those sweet construction contracts and, of course, the generous political donations that tend to come from the construction companies, build it, they will. Our question of the day comes in from Craig. Hey, Lars, when will Oregon cities realize that we do not have a shortage of trees being planted, but we do have a problem with excessive rules and overpriced permit fees on trees in our own yards and parking strips? Fines for cutting trees in our own yards are excessive, and then when the trees fail in windstorms, we pay a big price in damage and safety. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. I want to give today's Daily Grill to the CEO of Portland General Electric. Now, there are a lot of people we could give the grill to on. She made about $6 million in bonuses and salaries back in 2022. And apparently they've increased recently. And you say, but Lars, Maria Pope can't control the weather or the snow. No, she can't. But what she could do is tell the powers that be, you're putting the grid in the Northwest at great risk. She could stand up and say, let us focus on making the grid reliable and resistant to things like storms that are fairly routine in the Pacific Northwest so that we can keep the lights turned on. Now, by the way, if you think, well, Lars, you got a dog in the fight, my lights didn't go out. I was glad I had my fingers crossed the whole weekend. My lights didn't go out. But making six million bucks a year as the head of a state-regulated monopoly utility and not being able to keep the lights turned on for hundreds of thousands of people because you're focused on equity and diversity and wind and solar and all that nonsense instead of just keep the lights turned on. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Gail writes in, Lars, Saturday morning my husband and I drove 25 miles on icy roads to get to the only place that residents of Thurston County had to caucus. It was scheduled 10 a.m. at Olympia High School. We arrived on time, and we were surprised to see an almost empty parking lot. There were people greeting drivers as they drove in, and after speaking, the cars turned and left. When we talked to one of the caucus volunteers, a man named Ken Morris, we were told that a Olympia School District had canceled our event. We were told this cancellation happened late in the evening the night before. I don't know the reason given, but the odd thing is there was a scheduled basketball game that was still going on. Kids were in the gym having a game. Still more kids were arriving. The caucus has not yet been rescheduled. Mr. Morris says they probably won't get anything arranged for at least a couple of weeks. Having two kids that we pulled from the school district, 
We know how left they lean. Olympia School District. I can't help but think this was intentional election interference. I'd love to have somebody with some influence contact them for an explanation. I'd love to know the explanation, too. If other events were still going on at the school, why in the world would you cancel Republican caucuses? I think we all know the reason. Let's go to Jerry. Hey, Jerry, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. I hope everything went well for you and your family this past weekend. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, I, I, I was going to ask you your opinion on, do you think that Joe Biden is actually getting paid by the cartel? He gets a piece of every all the money that goes through? No, uh, I, I think that, uh, that, that Joe Biden is getting his payoff in a different form. I mean, it's still corrupt. Joe Biden has been the best thing that ever happened to the Mexican drug and human trafficking cartels. We have more people dying from fentanyl. The cartels are making literally billions of dollars, according to the DEA. And, of course, they're trafficking not just drugs, but human beings, including children, for all kinds of nefarious things. So how does Joe get his payoff? The hint, and I said this last week, comes from Arizona, where Arizona has said you must be a, an American citizen to vote. Uh, except we'll let you sign up to vote in federal elections, even if you don't present proof that you're an American citizen. And I have a feeling a lot of, of states are going to do the same thing Arizona's doing. They're going to say why we have to let all these people vote, even if they're not citizens. So for Joe Biden and the Democrat Party, re-election for him, re-election for Democrats is a much bigger, you know, payoff than any amount of cash that the cartels might give to Joe or his uh, his corrupt son and his corrupt family, frankly. I, I know this wouldn't happen in any other country. I know that. Well, there's there are corruptions. There's corruption in other countries, including places like Ukraine, which is why the Democrat Party and a lot of its friends tend to spend so much time focusing on things like Ukraine. Jerry, thanks for the call. Let's go to Mac. Hey, Mac, it's uh, Monday, snowy Monday in the Northwest. What's on your mind? I just want to talk about the natural gas thing. I'm in I'm in the industry, and we sell a few products that use natural gas, and obviously they're starting to eliminate that. And I went to one of the people uh, in the industry and said, I can't believe that Northwest Natural and these natural gas companies aren't fighting this. And I was told it's a win-win for them. They don't want to fight this because they'll be selling it to the electric companies to produce electricity, and down the road they'd only have one customer to deal with instead of tens and tens and thousands of them. That would, that, it'd be a good theory, Mac, except for this. In Oregon, they will not allow the expansion of any existing electric plants that run on natural gas. They will also not allow any new plants because when they shut down the Boardman coal plant, you know, and, and that shutdown was announced about a decade ago, finally completed a couple of years ago, they said we're going to replace it with switchgrass, you know, using biomass. That didn't work. So they said, well, we'll put in a, na a natural gas-fueled uh, a, a way of generating power from natural gas. And the Greenies said, no, we won't let you use gas. So the natural gas companies are going to find themselves with no customers at some point, and they should be fighting back, and they won't be generating new power from natural gas. The Lars Larson Show. Coming American elections promise some provocative politics, but be forewarned, the green agenda may lead to some extreme rhetoric. Die, get pupper! So prepare yourself by listening to The Lars Larson Show. 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. It's a pleasure to be with you on a snowy Monday. And a welcome back to our program, uh, the retired uh, district attorney from Gladstone County, and that's Josh Marquis. Josh, welcome back. Thank you, Lars. I hope that the uh, the weather, uh, sort of uh, the inclement weather over the weekend, didn't treat you too badly. You're down near the coast with the Japanese current, so I'm sure it was a little different weather than other parts of the Northwest, John. Not really. It's just very, very cold. We just don't have any significant amount of snow, but we do have two solid inches of ice that makes it very difficult to go anywhere. Well, and, and that's that's one thing I can't do anything about, and uh, nobody fixes the weather. And, of course, no. ODOT is out uh, you know, doing what it does. Um, I want to ask you about a couple of legal cases uh, that, that promise to have a great positive effect for Americans. So some good news from this program uh, for a change. Should the U.S. Supreme Court shoot down the deep state bureaucracy uh, that I think I could fairly say now controls Americans and their businesses and their daily lives without their input, their votes, or their consent? I had not, I'm an attorney and I went to law school 40 years ago and I had not realized how deeply it had sort of based easy way to explain it already to your listeners is that um, generally we're familiar with the three parts of government. There's the executive branch, which, you know, enforces the law, the legislative branch, which uh, makes the laws up and, and writes them, and the, and the judicial branch, which interprets them. Um, but we've essentially become sort of an administrative state. And in particular, this has to do with uh, laws that actually affect those of us on the coast, and that is the ability of administrative branches of the federal government to, to place mandatory monitors on board small fishing vessels. And in this case, uh, one was on the East Coast, one was on the West Coast, and they would say, well, in order to make sure that you're not overfishing or catching the wrong kind or too much of the fish, we're going to require that you, you hire someone either who works for the federal government or essentially it works. Is it works in, in the dragon for the government, and you have to pay them essentially about eight hundred, nine hundred dollars a day. Well, many yep. of these boats were two-person boats, and they literally would pay more money for the monitors than they would they could possibly make. And essentially, the federal government through bureaucracy and regulation was killing the ability to even. about the specific cases before the courts but i think it's a lot bigger than that and correct me if i'm wrong there's a thing that the court can say wait a minute is this really a rightful um, exercise of the executive branch of government now you've talked about the specific cases before the court but i think it's a lot bigger than that and correct me if i'm wrong there's a thing that the courts have have done called the chevron doctrine and essentially it said if Congress creates an agency, any agency in the world, EPA or anything else, marine fisheries in this case, and if that agency then decides to do something, whether they were explicitly given the permission to do it or not, that the Chevron doctrine says, if somebody sues and says, hey, you can't make us pay for these fishing monitors that eat up all of our profit from fishing, 
that the agency says, well, according to the courts under the Chevron doctrine, anything we do is okay, and the courts usually defer to the bureaucracy and say they're right. Even when folks have pointed out there's nothing in what Congress passed to create those bureaucracies. But if they do it, the courts have said, under the Chevron doctrine, we assume they're right. This could extend way beyond, and will, as I understand it, extend way beyond this one case involving the fishing monitors. It could oh, extend yeah. every one of these bureaucracies, like EPA and and all the other agencies that dream up these crazy new rules. They don't. They don't have to go past Congress. They don't have to ask the people's representatives. If they shoot down the Chevron doctrine in this case, it could actually affect the entire deep state bureaucracy that currently runs oh, yeah. America. I mean, and, and, and a lot of people, I mean, you can make it much more mundane. A lot of people who uh, build additions to their house or um, are, are dealing with the state bureaucracy, not necessarily the federal bureaucracy, have... have have encountered things where it may be that the law says you need a permit, for example, if you're going to do more than $20,000 worth of work, but you can find in the town I live in, in Astoria, if you so much as change, you know, the, the filigree on, 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 a, on a door, they can say, oh, well, we can come in and basically forbid you from doing work on your own house. This does potentially, I mean, the goal is not to have people run amok and, and do things that could affect other people. There's a famous saying, I think we've said it on your show before. We have. It should be the way law. That my right to swing my fist ends where your nose begins. And that's a good rule of law, essentially. That really the, the ability of government to regulate people should be limited to that part which directly or sometimes indirectly affects other people, but not simply rules for rules' sake. And anybody who's in any kind of private business, and I was largely, I was, I was part of the government all, all my professional life, has encountered this, whether they're in the fishing business, in the construction business, in retail. Um, I wouldn't call it the deep state, but I I can see how people could certainly... See, I would call it the deep state because it it, it means things like this, Josh. When you create the alcohol, tobacco, and farms, now called the BATF, you know, agency, and then you say whatever rule they write becomes law. You say, hold on a second. You mean Congress just says we don't actually have to pass a law. We create an agency, and then they pass the laws, except they call them regulations. You've effectively said the people's representatives don't have to be consulted before you come up with new rules, nor do they have a very clear-cut way to to get those rules. Right. The argument that can be made is that some of these are so highly... Congress every single time and tried to pass them, basically things would grind to a halt. I've lived in countries like Italy, for example, where they are so caught up sort of in the, in the bureaucracy that they really can't move. And it also means sometimes that they can't grow. So, but on the other hand, you know, and, and, and what it tends to do is crush small business, uh, not just in, in fishing, but in housing and other things. And this could be. And in fact, in this fishing example, which we've been covering, we're waiting for the dis- uh, discussion to be done before the Supreme Court to hear the case. I think it's on Wednesday um, that we want to have monitors on these ships, but nobody gave us any money to do it. Nor did Congress give them any authority to say, if you don't have the money, just charge the people that you're monitoring. You know, and, and, and in that case, um, the agency just said, well, 
Nobody said we couldn't do it, so therefore anything we, we were not told explicitly not to do is something we're allowed to do until somebody takes well, us to court. That's a, very that's a very dangerous concept, particularly when you're talking about organizations that do not have nobody who, who's elected who they're responsible for or have to answer to. Nor do they have to care because they keep their jobs no matter what. They aren't elected, which means they can't be unelected. And I'm hoping that on Wednesday, when the Supreme Court hears this case, they shoot down the Chevron doctrine altogether and just say, if you want the power to do that, go right back to the Congress and ask for that authority. And until you do, don't touch things we didn't tell you to. That's Judge Marquis, retired district attorney for Clapham be back in just a moment. And by the way, Christians, beware of plans for diversity and inclusion, because a whole bunch of them do not include you Christians, and I include myself in that as well. It's Monday, it's snowy in the Pacific Northwest, and you've got the Lars Larson Show. I'm really excited. Saving care is made possible by a global move of supporters like you. Thank you. Constantine Kissin on Hamas. For years now, many of us have been warning that the barbarians are at the gates. We were wrong. They're inside. There are positives as well. I mean, say what you want about Hamas supporters. At least they know what a woman is. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on this snowy Monday. And I'm expecting to hear from some of you who are not very happy about the fact that you've been in the dark with the power turned off for the last several days. And as we said, we understand that sometimes there are weather emergencies, trees fall down, limbs come down, power lines go down. It has to be fixed. But do you suspect that we might have a lower level of those kinds of problems if the utilities of the Pacific Northwest were actually focused on making a solid grid versus utilities that seem to be more focused on two things that are getting in the way? One, a focus on uh, wind and solar and all of those things. So you're trying to get the kind of green power that the politicians seem to want, because remember, all of these utilities, whether they're PUDs or whether they are privately owned utilities or even city owned utilities, as in the example of Seattle City Light or Puget Sound Energy or Portland General Electric or PPNL, whether they are one or the other, all of them are regulated by the government. And what has the government been sending the signal in the largely liberal Pacific Northwest? You've got elected officials and governors who say we want green energy give us green energy give us more windmills give us more solar panels give us all of that stuff the second issue is diversity and inclusion and i would mention to you i'm going to spend a little time on it a little bit later on in the show but the faa the federal aviation administration has now announced that its diversity and inclusion measures mean that they are going to seek to hire people to the faa the regulatory agency that oversees all of aviation both commercial and general aviation that they want to hire more people with mental difficulties with various kinds of handicaps of one kind or another because inclusion and diversity is so very important well i got this example from one of our great listeners who alerted me from the inside authority, the OHA, which became kind of notorious during the pandemic 
they didn't exactly do a fantastic job in my view. Uh, they were, they were fueling uh, an awful lot of the shutdowns that happened during the pandemic that later on turned out not to be necessary. They didn't exactly communicate solid messages when it came to shots, when it came to masks, when it came to business closures or limitations on personal freedoms. Well, the Oregon Health Authority has now held a series of staff meetings in which an equity officer discussed plans for so-called awareness months, which include a number of religious holidays. But some of the people, even on the inside, even at a very high level, said, hey, you made this list of all these different holidays. You left out a bunch of the biggest Christian holidays. And you know who drew? Dr. Paul Seeslack, I think it's Seeslack, it's C-I-E-S-L-A-K. He's the medical director of communicable diseases and immunizations. His name became much more familiar during the pandemic. He actually wrote an email. I think he's getting close to uh, he's a bureaucracy of the Oregon Health Authority. Uh, as my emailer said, Dr. Seeslack is no small potato. During COVID, he was one of the voices of the OHA seen in both social media and on television. I guess he's eyeing retirement and feels like speaking his mind, consequences be damned. Well, I reached out to the OHA because I wanted to know what was going on. But what Dr. Seeslack wrote was, is there some antipathy toward including Christian holidays in these so-called awareness months? I think the most striking omission, get this, the holiest day in the Christian year, which is Easter, the resurrection, which is on March 31st. In its place this year, on March 31st, the Oregon Health Authority has marked out a transgender day of visibility. And as uh, Paul Seeslack wrote, I can't imagine the response if they had replaced Eid al-Fitr, one of the big Muslim holidays, uh, rel religious holidays with that day. And I think the doctor is right. I'd love to talk to the doctor because if he truly is getting near retirement and he's decided, okay, I don't care anymore. I'm going to say what I think. I'm going to say what I believe. See, for doing this politically correct nonsense about diversity and inclusion, say we're going to have a transgender day of visibility. What is that? What does that have to do with diversity and inclusion? And why in the world would you take off of the calendar one of the most significant, if not the most? Because the central belief of Christians is that we are saved from our sins by the resurrection, the death and resurrection, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they take this right off the calendar and they put in, in its place something that ought to offend an awful lot of Christians who believe they were made in God's image of visibility and that that's somehow a significant religious holiday i don't think it makes any sense at all our poll on x used to be called twitter you can find it on x at lars larson show should we forbid land purchases by citizens of countries in their country uh, as has been pointed out the daily mail and the daily caller news foundation and others pointed out this weekend the second largest foreign landowner in the United States is a Chinese citizen billionaire. He lives, but he's still a Chinese national, and he is a significant member of the Chinese Communist Party. He bought 200,000 acres in the state of Oregon about a decade ago. 
Now, when foreign nationals buy land in the United States that is supposed to be reflected in government records, this one was not. It came to light because of other things that were going on involving that land. His name, uh, I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big solo? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lawrence Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on MLK Day. It's also a pleasure to be with you on a day when it's awfully frosty cold outside in much of America. And here in the Pacific Northwest, snow and cold have kind of locked up the region and turned out the lights for a time for literally hundreds of thousands of people, including our good friend, global warming debunker and meteorologist Chuck Weiss, who joins me now. Now, Chuck, before you make any comments about your local utility company, I'd remind you the FCC is is happy to find me hundreds of thousands of dollars for any profanities. But I take it you're not you're not very happy with the way the utility companies have handled this. Uh, no, Lars, I'm I'm actually uh, not. We have up in the area where I live here, which is in the West Hills, we have uh, uh, 700 over 700 people without power, and we have since Saturday afternoon. And it was funny that uh, before I decided to call the show, because you know I have backup power here, but it failed, and so I, I, fortunately for me, I have somebody to come out and take a look at at that this afternoon, and hopefully get it get it going again. But there's a lot of people up here who didn't have backup power, and they've been without power now for over. 48 hours, and I decided, well, I was going to call Portland General Electric uh, just now to see are there any updates uh, to our situation, and not only do they not give any updates, they actually said their offices are closed for the holiday. Isn't that lovely? Here we are in a, in a climate, you know, in a, uh, a power emergency, because the power is, is off to many thousands of people, and their offices are closed. They're not going to have people come in and try to work an emergency. When you know, I would, I would think, power, Chuck, that, that this would be an all-hands-on-deck situation. You know, even though at the end of the day, and this, we've actually got, I think, four deaths attributed to the, the weather uh, over the last uh, weekend. Uh, but, but you would think, in a situation like this, if you're in the power business, this is an all-hands-on-deck situation, but apparently PGE still sees it as a holiday. 
Well, no, it's it, maybe it's the diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff you're talking about because they just had to take the holiday off regardless of what's actually going on around them and that they're responsible for. So uh, I we haven't seen any power crews up here doing anything either, and I don't know what the situation is with that. But I'm not I'm not able to get any answers, and neither is uh, are any of the uh, the public that's trying to find out when their power can be restored. Uh, so it's a bad situation because the temperatures are low enough to where if a home goes without power for a long time and very little other sources to keep the house warm, the pipes are going to freeze. And we're already seeing uh, pipes that have been frozen in the city of Portland causing sewage problems and everything else. So it, it really starts to, the problems start to compound when you can't fix these things. And so, uh, no, I, there's a lot of people that are not happy with, with the way things are going. And uh, especially when you don't get any answers from the power company, which we're not now. They're just not informing us. And we don't know what they're doing. We don't even know how many crews are out there trying to work on these lines right now. Did they take the position that because we have another storm coming tomorrow, that, that, that the heck with it, we'll just wait till everything warms up? I don't know. Uh, I don't know, because, no because it. and it's not, it's not restricted to the Portland Metro, because Puget Sound Energy, PSE, was notifying its, its uh, customers over the weekend, cut back on your use of both natural gas and electricity. And I thought... Wow, if you're already off, if you have no service to a lot of customers, you would think, if anything, it wouldn't matter if people used a lot of power uh, because you've got, in the case of PGE, 150,000 customers for a time, PPNL north of 100,000 customers, that when you have a whole bunch of customers who aren't using any electricity, how is it that you're having a tough time maintaining the grid for the people who are still connected? And then I saw one report, and I'm really suspicious of it. PSE said, well, we have a bunch of redundant uh, fiber optic lines that control, I think it's one of their nat natural gas facilities. And I thought, when a whole bunch of redundant opt fiber optic lines go down, why did they all go down at once? Was it a backhoe? Was it some other kind of problem? Or, or did somebody cut them or somehow damage them? When you have all of your lines plus your redundant lines that control a major facility go down, it, it makes you wonder. And, and I wish the, the power companies were a lot more transparent than they seem to be. Yeah, I, I wish the same thing. And your comments earlier, I think, are something that should be looked into, too, because the uh, – and we've talked about it on your show before – these crazy climate policies that the power companies are pursuing, and I don't know if they're getting their arms twisted to do it, but they're absolutely absurd. We're going to end up with more and more and more power crises like we have right now in the future if this continues to go towards this uh, insane green energy policy that they want to uh, enact – along with bringing all these electric vehicles online, you're going to have uh, grid shortages and low demand shortages. Any engineer could tell you this, and they just ignore it and keep going on their merry way. I don't understand all of it. And all of the climate policies of Multnomah County, the state of Oregon, what came out of the governor's office, they're absolutely worthless, and they're not going to cause any effect on the, on the weather or climate, because like I've told your listeners before, the founding principles that we knew about years ago in atmospheric science have told us. The CO2 levels do not control the Earth's temperature. There's only two constituents that do. That's water vapor and clouds, which modulate the amount of sunlight to reach the ground and the amount of outgoing radiation from the Earth's surface. Those things are natural. You can't change them. And CO2 is simply along for the ride. And the only thing that changed between those founding principles and today, Lars, is these failed climate models and a lot of people that invented them that are telling whoppers uh, about their accuracy so that they can keep the federal grant
grants coming to the universities. It's absolutely disgusting. And there's a lot of this going on. And I'll tell you, Chuck, I had a gentleman call me earlier, and he said, Lars, you know, uh, one of his friends had a theory, and he said the gas companies don't care if they stop selling to consumers because they'll just sell all that gas to power production plants. And I said, do you realize the state of Oregon has made it illegal to build new natural gas-fired electric generating plants? It's illegal, and they will not allow you to expand an, an existing natural gas-fired plant because California has a ton of them because they realize that when you have a, a peak in demand, you, you, have a, you have to have a resource you can turn on right now. The wind turns on whenever God decides. The, the, you know, the sun shines whenever it's scheduled to, 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 to shine, and the other stuff is, is intermittent. And so, well, we'll build some nat gas plants. They're literally illegal in Oregon, along with nuclear, that is illegal to build under current state law. And I don't expect to see any nuclear plants built in Washington State either. And so we have some of the best designs in the world for nuclear plants. We're not going to build them. We have a whole bunch of natural gas that's available for the entire country to last for hundreds of years, and we're not going to use it. And they're going to simply tell people, you're, you, you should electrify everything in your house, your car, your heat, your cooking, and everything else. Oh, and by the way, your power might go out a whole lot more often. Chuck, I think you're absolutely right. This was a little taste of it and a little bit of a foreshadowing, kind of a warning, saying, do you realize what's happening? If one small, relatively small snowstorm and wind can actually knock out power to hundreds of thousands of people and have the utilities begging customers, use less, turn the heat down, don't use as much. But, oh, while you're at it, electrify everything in your life from the car in your driveway to the furnace in your house. But we might not have enough electricity to keep it turned on, and your house might just get cold enough for your pipes to break. Does anybody think that makes sense? I'd love to take the naysayer call. It's a Monday. It's my pleasure to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network, 866-439-5277. Coming up in a moment, we'll talk about the uh, attack, literal physical attack, on the Biden White House over the weekend. You've got the Lars Larson Show. knew better do you all of it began the first time some of you who know better and are old enough to know better let young people think that they had the right to choose the laws they would obey as long as they were doing it in the name of social protest this is the Lars larson show hear that sound that's what was going on outside the white house in washington dc on saturday night and who is making all that noise a pro-Palestinian, pro-terrorism march, and then a crowd outside the White House trying to break down the barricades. If you've ever been to the White House, you know that there's about an eight-foot uh, steel fence or wrought iron fence that surrounds the immediate grounds. And more recently, the White House has erected a no-climb barrier to try to hold crowds of activists and protesters and the like back. But what was happening at the White House? They were trying to break that fence down. And that was bad enough. Let me get into the details of this in a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Glad to have you with me. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day 
at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Naysayers always go to the head of the line. You want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our Twitter poll or X poll, uh, poll, as we're calling it these days. Should we forbid land purchases by citizens of countries that won't let Americans buy land, like China? China does not allow foreign nationals to buy land in China, but apparently Chinese nationals can buy land in America. This has come to light just in the last couple of days. The second largest foreign landowner in the United States is a Chinese billionaire. His name is Chen Tian Kao. He is founder, chairman, and CEO of a global investment firm called the Chanda Group but apparently bought a couple of a couple of hundred thousand acres in the state of Oregon about a decade ago that only came to light recently, even though all foreign ownership of land in the United States is supposed to be registered with the government. He has extensive ties, Chen does, has extensive ties to the Chinese government. He has membership in the Chinese Communist Party. He has executive roles in CCP organizations. And he owns a couple of hundred thousand acres in the United States. And he is, in fact, the second largest foreign landowner in all of the United States. Now, how did we not know about this when it's supposed to be registered? And I'll tell you, I get a lot of emails from people, uh, including folks who, like me, would say, well, then why don't we just make it impossible for people to be, be able to buy land right now? In large part, large measure, foreign nationals have as much right to own land in the United States as any others do. And I wrote back to one and I said, listen, get a member of Congress to introduce a bill to make foreign ownership of land in the United States illegal and say, if you want to lease land in the United States, you're perfectly welcome to do that. But we don't want you owning land in the United States. It is too much of a threat to this country. But uh, so far, I haven't seen anybody in Congress move in that direction. But let me go back to the protest, and then I'll get to some of your phone calls and your emails. What is being described by the media charitably as a pro-Palestinian protest, in other words, protesters protesting in favor of the Hamas terrorists who carried out that awful attack in Israel on October the 7th, murdering more than a 1,000 people, slaughtering innocents, including children, taking hostages and the like including the rape of some of the hostages, including burning some of the people who were then killed by these Hamas terrorists. And now, protesters protesting in favor of those Hamas terrorists go outside the gates of the White House on Saturday night. They had put in a reinforced gate, a fence, outside a fence. This is from a Biden White House where the President of the United States came in and immediately, his first day in office back in 2021, canceled construction of a border wall because the Democrats will tell you all day long that they don't believe in walls except that they themselves live behind walls. Joe Biden lives behind a double barricade at the White House. He has walls constructed with taxpayer money around his own personal homes. Um, uh, you know, in the case of one, half a million dollars it cost to build a big wall around his beach house in Delaware. And he's protected by two walls and the Secret Service and the Metro D.C. police. And outside of his plays, the White House, he wasn't there. He was up at Camp David this past weekend. But they were out there trying to knock down that barricade. It's around the White House, the double one of the the outside ring of the double barricade. One of the protesters shouted, break it down. 
Another one shouted, you support the murdering of children. They're not happy that Joe Biden is supporting uh, Israel in its fight against Hamas. They threw bottles and other objects over the fence in the direction of the White House. And they're also shouting things at Joe Biden that I can't repeat, although I could say the uh, radio translation is, let's go, Brandon, because that's what they were shouting at Joe Biden. They're not happy. So you might wonder, well, with a mass of people outside trying to break through the barricades and get to the White House, what would have happened if they got to the White House? We don't know. But I'll tell you what didn't happen outside those barricades. The Secret Service made exactly zero arrests. The Metro D.C. police made exactly zero arrests. And I'll quote Metro Police Department Chief Pamela Smith, who oversees the Washington, D.C. police, said, uh, we don't like the protest activity, but, quote, the right to peacefully protest is one of the cornerstones of our democracy. And the Metro Police Department has long supported those who visit our city to demonstrate safely. However, violence, destructive behavior, and criminal activities are not tolerated. I would beg to differ with Chief Smith, because if you say they're not tolerated, how many people did the Metro D.C. police arrest for trying to break through the barricades and throwing objects at the White House and threatening the White House with the F. Joe Biden chant? And the answer is none. Well, if you allow people to engage in that kind of behavior, you know what would have got them arrested? If those people had shown up wearing MAGA hats. Except it wasn't the MAGA hat crowd that was trying to break down the fence. It was the pro-Hamas terrorism crowd that was trying to break down the fence. But when you when you want to say we're not going to tolerate destructive behavior and then a mob tries to break down one of the fences surrounding the White House and and shouting threats at Joe Biden and you say, but we're not going to arrest any of them. What is that if it's not tolerating that kind of behavior? Second uh, example, and that came from just this morning, fire trucks and ambulances swarmed the White House this morning because there was a swatting incident. Now, if you've never heard of that before, we've talked about it on the show. Swatting is when you call in a false report that something, some kind of emergency is happening at a home. Oftentimes, a person will stage a fake call to 911. They will say that somebody has been hurt, somebody's been murdered. In this case, they said the White House was on fire. It was not on fire. And President Biden was not there. He was at Camp David. But the call came about 7 o'clock this morning, Washington, D.C. time, and it was determined by the District of Columbia Fire and Emergency Medical Services and the Secret Service that it was a false alarm. It wasn't true. But they got fire trucks and ambulances to dispatch and roll up on the White House because of a swatting attack. And I don't think you can view this as anything but an attack. Now, do I like the policies of Joe Biden? No. Do I want an American president to be physically attacked or have mobs outside the White House? Except one thing I know for sure. When conservatives protest anything, when conservatives do anything, the full extent of the law will be deployed to go after those people. When liberals like this, who are politically important to Joe Biden, do it, not much of anything is going to happen. And today and this weekend is proof positive of that. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Portland.
Elon Musk sums up America's government. And what I see all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm very, very concerned that the Republicans may have actually sold out uh, sold us out when it comes to the border and and whether or not we're ever going to get enforcement of America's southern border. Uh, the budget and the money is one of the few ways the people's representatives have of controlling that whole process. But to check and make sure that I'm not going too far with that, I thought we'd talk to our friend Ira Melman, who's uh, at the Foundation for American Immigration Reform, otherwise known as FAIR. Hey, Ira, welcome back. Thanks very much. Good afternoon. So to, uh, good afternoon to you, but tell me this. Uh, did the Republicans sell us out and say, okay, we're, we're not going to, to take any uh, really definitive action on the budget that would have had an effect on the uh, Biden administration's open borders policy? Well, we're not quite there yet. But, it, you know, it does kind of remind me of uh, Abba Ibn's famous quip about the Arabs. That they never miss an opportunity. <laughs> miss an opportunity. Miss an opportunity. <laughs> miss an opportunity. <laughs> and... You know, I think we could say the same about the Republicans. They seem to be intent on squandering this golden opportunity to actually get something done at the border that would make a significant difference. You, um, you know, I guess what you're referring to is the negotiations taking place in the Senate right now. Right. Where, you know, it seems that they're going to settle for half measures, maybe even quarter measures, when they have all the leverage they need right now to really hold this administration accountable, to force them to actually do what the law says they need to do. Uh, but instead, you know, you have at least uh, what is leaking out because all this is taking place behind closed doors. There's nothing that anybody's seen on paper yet. Uh, but it seems that they're willing to accept up to 5,000 people coming across that border every day uh, before it triggers some kind of mandatory uh, return of people back across that border. 5,000 a day is not acceptable to the american people nope. uh you know it may be less than the twelve thousand that we've had over the past a day for the past few months but it's still not acceptable uh and the president is running for re-election he is underwater on immigration policy he has no public support uh this should be a no-brainer it is good for the country it is good politically and yet you know there's talk about this there is a bulwark however in the house uh, Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, has kind of said the right things. He has said that they're not going to go for it. Uh, but again, you know, we have to see what happens once there's something on paper and once there's something in front of the House. Well, and just to put this in context, and Ira, as you know, as always, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But when Ira, uh, when uh, when uh, Jay Johnson, <laughs> the guy who was, sorry, when, when Jay Johnson <laughs> was in charge of Homeland Security for Obama, he was asked, well, you know, when, when is it a good day or bad day? And he said, any number past 1,000 per day is a crisis. And now Republicans are going to sign off on 5,000 illegal aliens a day, unvetted, coming into the United States. It, just as a context, so in other words, the Republicans, uh, when I said sell out, the Republicans are willing to say that five times what Democrat Jay Johnson would have considered, what he worked for a Democrat, so he's, you know, he was, he was on the same page as Obama, who was nothing to write home about when it came to illegal aliens either. But if Jay Johnson thought it was a crisis at a thousand a day, and the Republicans say, hey, five thousand a day, we can settle for that, that's a sellout as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you, you got it absolutely right. That's what Jay Johnson said, and yes, it is a sellout. Uh, and there is no reason for it. They could do a lot better. 
uh, you know, it could do a lot better for the country. And as I said, this is an issue where the American public is behind efforts to close that border down. There is no public support for what is going on. I mean, you look at what's happening in New York City, uh, in some of these other big metropolitan areas. You, it's overwhelming. Local officials, uh, schools are being forced to evacuate so they can move uh, migrants in there. Uh, it, it simply makes no sense. This is their opportunity. The House passed H.R. 2 last May. Uh, it, it's been sitting in the Senate going nowhere because Chuck Schumer refuses to move it. Uh, this is their opportunity to leverage uh, that bill into the foreign aid bill. Uh, the president wants, I think it's $106 billion uh, foreign aid package to be approved by Congress. He's going to have to accept, or he should have to accept, Real significant changes at the border. He asked for more what he called border security money in that bill. But if you read what he asked for, it was really to process and release people more quickly, not to enforce yeah. the border. He uh, wanted for what he, fourteen billion for the border patrol, so they could pr provide what a, a walking sidewalk or an escalator for uh, to bring people in faster, because that's all he was going to spend the money on, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, pretty much, but he opened the door. He said, let's include uh, that in this bill. Fine, but let's actually include real enforcement at the border, not just this fake enforcement that uh, moves people into the country more quickly, but actually stop it. So the Republicans, the door is wide open. They just need to walk through at this point. Okay, so, so here's the other thing, and Ira, I'd be lying to you if I said I haven't spent a lot of time telling my audience about what's going on in New York and Chicago and Philadelphia and D.C., but I always tell them it's because it's the most visible place it's happening. But Ira, if I do the math, if they say it's something like 7.5 to 8 million uh, encounters by CBP at the border, and most of them released, you know, where they show up in court in a few years' notice, and then another 1.5 to 1.7 million gotaways where they spotted them, but they never actually encountered them directly. So you're talking 9 to 10 million illegal aliens. If a couple of hundred thousand of them are in New York and a couple of hundred thousand in Chicago and a hundred thousand in Philly and another hundred thousand in D.C., that doesn't even account for 10 percent of that number. That means the rest are going to other uh, cities and states around America, except we're not seeing them in big enough groups like we do in New York City to be able to point at it and say, that's what's happening there. But it has to, these people are landing somewhere. They're not landing all in Texas and Georgia and Florida. They're going to the rest of the country, and that's going to have a consequence too, just on a smaller scale than New York. Am I wrong? It already is having an impact, you know, and also New York is the center of the media world, so obviously it attracts attention there. But, you know, you read places like Whitewater, Wisconsin, uh, they are dealing with it. There's some town in Maine where, where they're dealing with this. It is all over the United States. And don't forget, they don't have the resources that big cities like New York have. Uh, so, you know, 150,000 people has a big impact on New York, uh, but it's a city of 8 million people. If you take a few thousand and move them into some small town, it's going to have the same or an even greater impact because they simply don't have the capacity. So it is affecting every corner of this country, uh, and that's why public opinion has turned so dramatically against it, because it is affecting the lives of virtually everybody in this country, no matter where they live. Except that one of the, the, the thing I'm having a tough time with, don't disagree with anything you just said, but when you have a couple of thousand illegal aliens and their kids show up in a town, and if it's, if it happens to be in one of the sanctuary states or sanctuary cities, 
Those authorities are not going to tell you, by the way, our schools are crowded because they're filling up with the children of illegal aliens who, because of the Supreme Court, have a right to go to school. But it's putting it's having an impact, an effect on all the other legitimate kids who are going to school there. And it's going to have an effect on social services and welfare and, and police services and medical services and hospitals and everything else. Except it's harder to see. It's harder for somebody like Fair or somebody like me, had a little frog in my throat, uh, to catch up with and point to it and say, the reason your hospital is going broke is the emergency room is flooded with illegals. Yeah, but people who turn up in the emergency room needing care, uh, they notice the fact that they're not getting the care that they deserve because the hospital is overwhelmed by all these other people. Uh, the school system is exactly the same. You know, if your kid is sitting in a classroom where suddenly half the kids in the class don't speak English and nobody's learning anything, uh, that affects you, it affects your child, it affects your child's future. Uh, and this is on top of, you know, the year that they missed due to COVID. And then you've got Republicans who are willing to sell us out. That's Ira Melman. He's at the Foundation for American Immigration Reform, known as FAIR. Ira, thank you so much. In a moment, we'll get back to your phone calls and emails. Glad to take them at 866-HEY-LARS. Naysayers go first. Emails go to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Truth be told, Lars has welcomed naysayers for 27 years, but occasionally... Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to get your calls. Our poll on X today used to be called Twitter. We're transitioning over to the poll on X. Should we forbid land purchases by citizens of countries that will not let Americans buy land as China forbids foreign ownership of land in their country? And yet Chinese nationals are able to buy land in America. And it turns out over the last couple of days, we have found out that the second largest foreign landowner in all of America is a Chinese billionaire with close ties to the Chinese Communist Party, is a member of the Chinese Communist Party, and apparently a high-ranking member. His name is Chen Tingkuo, and he is the founder, chairman, and CEO of global investment group Shanda Group. He owns 200,000 acres in Oregon. Now, I've had a few of you say, 
Lars, he's violating the law, and they send me a, a, a slice from Oregon Revised Statutes, except that refers to public lands. This is private lands. But still in all, if the legislature or the U.S. Congress were to consider a bill that said that if you're a foreign national, you can't own land in America, would you support that? I would. I know there are a number of people who might say, well, there's a reason not to do that. How about this? If you're a foreign national and you don't want to become an American citizen and you're not an American citizen, you can lease land in the United States. You cannot own it. I'd go for that. So should we forbid land purchases by citizens of countries that won't let Americans buy land in their country? Today's poll is found at Lars Larson Show on X. It's also found on my website at LarsLarson.com, and it's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to Stephen. Stephen, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network and KPNW. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Hi. Um, hey, Lars. I was, uh, I've been in the electric utility industry for 35 years. I'm retired now, but um, I was a lineman troubleshooter and a T&D operations supervisor. And uh, people need to realize, even though the electric utility main office may be closed on a holiday, the linemen and all the other T&D personnel are out working their rear ends off to get the power back on when there's outages. In and I've weather, mentioned, I've, rain, I've mentioned ice, that, Stephen, but the complaint was... When you call the utility company and you say, can you give me some update? My house has been without power for three days. Wouldn't this at a utility company be an all hands on deck? We don't care if it's a holiday or a Sunday. We're going to bring people in whose regular office job is something else, but we're going to have you providing information to our customers as quickly as we can. Yes, I can answer that. I actually, I, I worked in Maui Electric in Maui for 27 years, and when you get outages, your phone calls are just overwhelming, and we do, they do bring in extra people to answer phones. But generally, most, if it's a big outage area, a lot of outages going on, they'll put records, uh, record, recorded messages as to where the outages are, what the expected time of restoration is. So they do try to be helpful, but sometimes with the amount of outages and tons and tons of people calling, all you can do is put a message on that hopefully gets through to people. Yeah, and I, and I think that's I think that's less that. than they I expect, Stephen, for, for the same right. reason that Chuck brought up. He said, you call the utility company and you say, can I get some information? They say, I'm sorry, our office is closed. It's a holiday. That's not, hey, it, we're here. Oh. We realize you've been without power for three days. The pipes in your house may be freezing. We'd like to get you information. God bless all the linemen and all, and I said that several times today. You know, th I'm not faulting what they're doing. What I'm oh. faulting is... Should the office staff uh, be staffed up? If you've got a CEO like PGE uh, that makes six million bucks a year, do you think she could she could say we should have some more people on the phones so that we can try to help people get real information right now as fast as possible? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I can just use Maui Electric because uh, I mean, when I was in operations, I mean. Uh, we brought people in to answer the phones prior to being able to have pre-recorded messages put on. I don't know what's going on. I mean, DEI has infiltrated all the utilities now, so maybe they don't want no to come in or they won't bring them in for overtime. But they should have uh, the number, the trouble number, to uh, get a recorded message, if nothing else. If they're not bringing people in and trying to help people in outage areas, especially in freezing weather, then that's their fault. They're doing something wrong. I think you're absolutely right. Thanks for the call, Stephen. Let's go to uh, Gary. Hey, Gary, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, great show, Lars. Appreciate, Thank you. Uh, appreciate you taking my call. Hey, um, yeah, I just want to let you know, um, I recently retired from PGE, uh, worked there several years, and 
I would be amazed if the crews are not working right now. People may not see them out there, but trust me, they're working. The well, we've given the numbers. There are about 1,400 linemen and other field crews that are working right now. As I said, I, I haven't faulted them at all. What I fault is right. the response from corporate management. Right, but what you may have um, not been aware of is that there is a website that PGE has that where people can go to and, oh, God, I can't give you the details of it because I've never been on it. I've been on it. I, I'm, I'm aware of it. The problem is, Gary, do you think that some of those people who have been without power for three days may not be able to get to the website? Well, um, well, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. They may, yeah, they may need to go another route as far as getting to it. And what would that route be? Of, the ones, the ones that are out of power, chances are, are the, well, no, right at this point, it's a major storm. So they're still, they're, they're still bringing up all of the, uh, they, they basically started the substations, worked their way out. That's where they can get the most bang for the buck. Yep. If you're on a line by yourself that goes a mile up into, you know, somewhere, then you're going to be one of the Well, it's got to be more than that because, Gary, they had 150,000 plus out over the weekend. They managed to cut that number to half of that, about 75,000 people as of this morning. And I don't think 75,000 people the live Lars up in a Larson Larson show. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? Right. Right. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our Twitter poll or X poll, as we call it these days, and that's whether or not foreign nationals should be allowed to buy land in America. Uh, unbelievable kind of story. A guy owns 200,000 acres, and he is of, in the state of Oregon, it turns out, and he's a Chinese national who is a member of the Communist Party, and he owns 200,000 acres. He's the second largest foreign owner of land in all of the United States. Now, that might be a second subject for me to talk to Representative Eric Robertson about, who's a Republican from Sumner, uh, the 31st district in the legislature. Representative Robertson, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hey, uh, one of the most colossally stupid things I've ever seen done was done by the Washington legislature, not by you, but by your Democrat friends, uh, who who decided to make it effectively illegal for the police to, to catch the bad guys, chase the bad guys and catch them. And we've even had some deaths that have happened because the police were forbidden to chase. Is the new Washington legislature this year likely to uh, to fix that problem? Well, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, the citizens of the state of Washington are going to be able to step in and uh, take care of the business that the legislature uh, should be taking care of. Uh, unfortunately, as you pointed out, that, that law passed in, in uh, 2021 um, where it effectively eliminated the ability to uh, pursue uh, criminals uh, who sometimes uh, law enforcement were 
observing uh, committing crimes. And so, uh, you know, we've seen the lawlessness um, in our communities and the safety uh, of our communities uh, uh, swirl around and around over the past few years. And uh, the law enforcement uh, folks uh, are just baffled by the fact that they've essentially been handcuffed uh, by uh, the majority Democrats in Washington state and not given the opportunity to do their job. You know, they, they took an oath to uh, uphold the law and create safe communities and safe highways. And uh, what we saw was the uh, defunding of police in many communities. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, the, uh, uh, inability to pursue and legalization of drugs and, and such. So last year, some changes uh, were made, uh, tinkering around the, the corners is what I would call it. Uh, there were some uh, minor improvements made, but it just wasn't enough, and it isn't enough. So, of course, uh, we've had uh, legislation uh, introduced. I uh, introduced it as a prime sponsor, but of course they were not going to give a, a lowly Republican a bill to get passed. So um, I attempted to make that bill a bipartisan uh, bill, but um, uh, no one wanted to sign on with me. From was the there side. not a single Democrat who was willing to join you and say the police should be able to chase the bad guys? Not, not on that piece of legislation that I that I introduced in uh, in, in 2022. But fortunately, in 2023, uh, a few of them started to come around. And uh, Representative Alicia Rule out of Blaine, up in Whatcom County, uh, essentially uh, sponsored a bill that was nearly mirrored uh, mine and offered for me to be number two. So we've got a great bipartisan bill with with many Democrats on it and many Republicans on it, and that still was not enough uh, for. Uh, the majority to uh, pass because um, over on that side of the aisle, they listen to the, the loud voices of activism and not necessarily the voices of reason. But but fortunately, as I pointed out, uh, Initiative 2113 uh, collected signatures uh, all through uh, 2023 yep. and uh, was just certified by the Secretary of State um, and has now been, as of today, um, introduced in the House of Representatives. Um, so we have an opportunity to hear that bill again, but unfortunately today uh, we ran into some more uh, Democratic roadblocks. No, no, hold on. So so you've got 400,000 plus signatures on that initiative, and thank God for Mr. Haywood who, who made all this uh, happen, these six initiatives, but yeah. now the, they're, they're, the Democrats are still going to try to block something that's coming from the people? Absolutely. That's, uh, that's what we experienced today. Um, our, uh, minority leader, uh, my seatmate, uh, Representative Drew Stokesbury out of Auburn, he, uh, stood up as they were referring bills to committee and made a motion to, uh, provide instructions to the committee to hear uh, this important, uh, citizens initiative. Uh, the voice of about 430,000 people, um, uh, that it be heard in committee. And, uh, they said that was out of, uh, out of order, um, against the rules. So he made a motion then to suspend the rules, which we do frequently, um, in this, uh, chamber, uh, suspend the rules to expedite things. And, um, that, of course, was shot down, um, on party line vote on the floor of the house. So 
It's so where does it go now? As to whether it's going to be heard or not, um, uh, our, our well, you know our position is is that uh, we've got four hundred thirty thousand people that have uh, signed this initiative out of about four million voters in the state of Washington. That should rise to the level. The Constitution of the state of Washington says that citizens' initiatives should be our paramount duty during a session, with the exception of not taking precedence over budgets. Right. Um, and right now we're in policy, um, and that's a perfect time to hear the bill. That's what the motion was today, well, was to ensure that uh, the people are heard. Representative Roberts, I'm talking to Eric Robertson from Sumner. So as I understand, the legislature in Olympia has two choices. They can pass the bill, the initiative from the people to the legislature, and if they don't, then it goes to a vote. Do your Democrat colleagues understand that when this goes to the public, they're almost certain to pass it? So the Democrats get to take the position of saying, we could just make it law now. We could pass the thing, put it on Inslee's desk, and say, sign the darn thing. Or we could let the, the, the public correct our misbehavior. They realize that's the, the end result of this, don't they? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's there, there are some smart people over there, and I'm sure they recognize the fact that uh, uh, this is uh, important, um, and we should act on it now. Um, unfortunately, again, uh, we're the the loud voices of activism uh, are bleeding out the ears of the voices of reason, and you know, we're just. You know, and be in this position where we're going to see crime continue to rise, mayhem in our communities and out on our highways continue to uh, occur, and the criminal element uh, in charge of our our communities, um, and that is uh, really a sad state of affairs uh, for uh, for some really well, nice uh, folks in Washington. You, you know, the thing is, Representative Robertson, I don't understand how people who call themselves the people's representatives can then say. But we're going to ignore the loud cries of the public to fix a problem when we're given the opportunity. Instead, we're going to make the people go to the polls months later, perhaps after more people have died as a result of this bad policy. And then they'll fix it. Kind of kind of takes away the whole idea that you're representing the people. Eric Robertson, thank you very much. And thanks for what you do at the Washington State Legislature in Olympia. In a moment, a couple of thoughts on Martin Luther King. I'll get to your phone calls your emails too at 866-439-5277 you're listening to the lars larson show and the radio northwest network Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. When it comes to MLK Day, I like to remind Americans that Martin Luther King, uh, whether I agreed with him on everything, and there isn't a politician out there where I agree with them on everything, but MLK was a civil rights activist in the day, and he was also a great conservative. And I thought I'd remind you of a few of those things, because I think they're significant to remember, because to a large extent, the left in America, the, the Democrats and the progressives, they all like to claim anybody who's a person of color that they sort of own those people lock, stock and barrel. I think it harkens back to the day when the Democrat Party was uh, the entire membership of the Klan. 
uh, and when the entire Democrat Party supported the idea of slavery, they've never really left that behind. There are people who seem to think that, oh, no, no, they flip sides and now the Republicans are the crazy racists. No, I think I'd remind you that the current occupant of the White House was actually accused of being an unabashed racist by none other than his current vice president, and that would be Kamala Harris. So the Democrat Party has never left its racist history behind. But MLK, I would argue that on paper, while he was not registered as a Republican, he was not registered as a Democrat, and he made quite a big deal of reminding people of that fact, he tended to vote conservative because he was himself conservative because think about this well i'll get into the details of that in a moment first let me invite you to the best conversation in talk journalism it's right here at 866 hey lars and if you happen to be a naysayer even on a subject like this i'd put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277 you can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and you can vote in our x poll the poll on x which replaced the poll on twitter uh, here's the question for today should we forbid land purchases by citizens of other countries that will not let Americans buy land as China does not allow foreign nationals to buy land, but Chinese nationals, even those who are high-ranking members of the Communist Party, are allowed to buy land in the United States. And the current example, apparently he's owned the land for about a decade, but his name is Shen Qingkuo. And he is the second largest foreign landowner in the United States. He also happens to be a billionaire from China. And he bought about 200,000 acres of land, mostly forest land and other land, in the state of Oregon about a decade ago. That is supposed to be something that is registered with the government. It's foreign ownership of land within the United States. It was not. It came to light just recently. I found out about this past weekend but he owns 200,000 acres of land and is the second largest foreign landowner in America. 200,000 acres. He is a member of the Chinese Communist Party. He holds ranking positions within the Chinese Communist Party, and he's still a foreign citizen, although he has quite a few ties in the United States, including properties that he owns in Manhattan and in Los Angeles and places like that. But he has extensive ties to the Chinese government, according to the Daily Caller News Foundation, CCP membership, and executive roles in Chinese Communist Party-affiliated organizations. So, uh, but that's our Twitter poll, or X poll today. But about Martin Luther King, on paper at least, you would expect that Martin Luther King could not be anything but a conservative. Consider this, a man of the cloth who believed in his Christian faith. Uh, and while I know that there are lots of people who want to remind you of things they didn't like about MLK, let me remind you of a couple of things. Man of the cloth, pro-family, pro-life, owned guns and actually tried to get a carry permit back in the day. He was refused that because of his skin color, but he owned several guns and he used them to protect himself and his family. He was actually finally uh, assassinated by somebody who hated him. But there was an assassination attempt on Martin Luther King that I'd never realized till I did some research before this MLK day. And uh, a man stabbed him in the chest. Uh, he was sitting at a at an event. Uh, the man walked up, inquired whether or not he was MLK uh, or Martin Luther King at the time. And uh, he said he was. And the man stabbed him in the chest with a knife. His father, uh, Martin Luther King Sr., was also uh, the uh, the victim or the, the subject of an attempted assassination. But a pro-life guy, a man of God. And one little detail uh, I also wasn't aware of until recently 
He was actually born as Michael King and then was inspired by reading about Martin Luther King and decided to legally, and he did legally change his name in the late 1950s to Martin Luther King Jr., just as his father had adopted a new name of Martin Luther King Sr., uh, he was, like many conservatives are today, the target of FBI surveillance and disinformation. He was assassinated, as you might recall, in 1968 when he was 39 years of age. A couple of other details that I'd never realized about MLK. He graduated from high school at the age of 15, went off to college and finished college when he was 19, and then he went to the seminary. And one little detail from his time in college he got a C in public speaking. Well, he was training to be a minister, so you have to know how to speak in public. But he got a C in the class uh, because they didn't think he was a very good public speaker, even though today you know that he has the reputation of being a, a, a famous orator and a famous man for especially the I Have a Dream speech that he gave uh, from the Lincoln Memorial on the uh, Washington, D.C. Capitol grounds. Um, one other detail I'd never realized... Um, Julia Roberts, the actress, he actually he paid for uh, the hospital bills of Julia Roberts' mom and dad. Because when Julia Roberts was born uh, in Smyrna, Georgia, for whatever reason, uh, Coretta Scott King and Martin Luther King Jr. decided to pay the bills for their friends, Walter and Betty. And uh, I would ask you today to ask yourself what Martin Luther King Jr., would have said about today's diversity because diversity has taken on some perversity these days uh, we found out over the weekend the federal aviation administration has now announced that it is going to be practicing a really extreme version of diversity the faa of course is the federal agency that oversees it's part of the department of transportation but it oversees all aviation in the united states including general aviation, private planes, and that sort of thing, but also commercial aviation as well. The FAA has now announced that it is adhering to the ideas of diversity and inclusion to such an extent that they're looking for people who will work at the FAA who are people who suffer from, quote, severe intellectual disability, psychiatric disability, and other kinds of disabilities. They say they will actively recruit hire, promote, retain, develop, and advance people with those kinds of disabilities, including severe intellectual disability, which makes you wonder, in a federal agency, I, I think it, it goes without saying that you'd want to see federal agencies employ people from all spectrums of life, but hiring people with severe intellectual disability to work within the FAA, it just raises more questions than I think it answers. Glad to be with you and always glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails, and this is easy to remember as well, talk at LarsLarson.com. And our poll on X today, should we forbid land purchases by citizens who come from countries, live in the United States, and are not U.S. citizens are not here to become citizens as green card holders, but they've chosen to be foreign nationals. Should we allow those people to buy large chunks of land in the United States when they come from countries and are still citizens of countries that won't allow Americans to own land at all? My answer to that would be no. You can answer any way you like. You'll find the X-Poll at Lars Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com. 
and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I confess to having a dog in the fight on this next subject, and that is state gun laws. In the in this case, California in particular, because California keeps passing gun laws, and then they get shot down in the courts, and so they just pass some more. So I thought maybe Sam Paredes could uh, help us sort this one out. Spokesperson for Gun Owners of America and their sister organization, Gun Owners Foundation. He serves as executive director of Gun Owners of California, which has got to be kind of a tough chore most days of the week, isn't it, Sam? <laughs> Lars, uh, first of all, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Um, you're always a beacon of light and wisdom and knowledge and all of that good stuff that we need more of in America. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a crazy thing to uh, to try to uh, stay on top of truth, justice, and, and, and righteousness out here in California. The legislature just it always seems a way to flip the middle finger to the Supreme Court of the United States and to tear up the Constitution and do bad things on it as they scatter it down the down the road. So yeah, it's it's a challenge, man. But, but what uh, are they? What do you suppose goes through their heads, Sam, when they pass a law and then it goes to the Ninth Circus Court, which often will say, uh, actually, they've been they've given us some good decisions and some bad decisions, but they're inevitably appealed, and then for the most part, they get shot down at the U.S. Supreme Court, and and the California lawmakers just say, well, let's pass some more. And would you mind giving my audience a couple of examples of the most outrageous ones? Wow, sure. Um, so. Golly, where to start on our rages? I mean, uh, well, let, let's do public places because flag. because public places <laughs> seems like a very uh, and it's a significant issue because a lot of states are trying to pass laws saying you can't carry a gun in a, in most public places. And those of us who do carry, and I do, uh, we go to public places all the time. And we think, well, that's right. where, you know, gun-free zones created by bans on carrying in public places, those make some of the most dangerous places in America. Most mass shootings happen in, in government-created um, uh, gun-free zones. So the Supreme Court said that that you, that the only real sensitive places that the, that can be designated are polling places, uh, courthouses, um, and and the, uh, the 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 government buildings where there is a significant police force there to protect the people. Other than that, you can't declare those places sensitive. They're not just because the general public goes to some place. You cannot declare that. A sensitive place, and Justice Thomas said you cannot declare the entire island of Manhattan a sensitive place. So what does California do? California declares virtually the entire state of California a sensitive place. And then they get tricky dicky and they say, "Well, we're only we, we really mean only zoos and and sports arenas and libraries and restaurants and gas stations and grocery stores and banks and schools." And, and, you know, all private businesses and even private property, unless you have the express permission of the, of the owners, we're going to declare all of those, uh, sensitive places. So we, we challenged them in court in May versus Bonta, um, in which case we've, we've won an injunction on it that will not allow that creation of sensitive places in California to go into effect. 
which would have made concealed carry weapons permits superfluous and useless in the state. And actually kind of dangerous for the people who use them. I mean, I have carry permits for the states that I usually go to. I don't have one for mm -hmm. California. I talked to a sheriff a number of years ago in uh, Butte County about getting one. He said, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, come down anytime and you can get it. And then a couple of years later, I was visiting the town of Chico or Paradise. I was visiting mm -hmm. Paradise back before it burned. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, I still want to get that carry permit. And he says, I can't give you one now. He says you have to be a resident of the state of California. So they already have tough limits on all of this stuff. But do they understand that I think it's Dr. John Lott who points out that something like uh, like 6% of mass shootings happen in places that are, that are not gun-free zones. The other 94% happen in gun-free zones. So making more gun-free zones makes more places where mass shootings can happen. That, is, is that the point of what the Democrats and the liberals are pushing for in California? Absolutely, that is what they are doing. They know full well what the facts are. They lie about the facts, and they continue to push these creations of, of these gun-free zones, uh, sensitive places, slash, uh, knowing full well that that is where these tragedies are going to uh, occur so that they, at that point, can use those tragedies to further their agenda of disarming all of the public. They seem to think deep down inside, that there is a, a day coming when no one will have guns in America and, and, and we will live in, in nirvana, in paradise. Uh, but, but, Lars, you and I know that's never going to happen, that as long as there are criminals, they will be able to arm themselves with whatever they need to commit their crimes. And unless law-abiding citizens are, are allowed to exercise a God-given right uh, to protect themselves, then uh, they're going to be victims. But, uh, you know, uh, the, the law-abiding, they know that they are their own first line of defense, and they, the, only, the only way to do that is with a gun. So, you know, this, Sam, this nirvana they keep imagining, because a lot of these people have been at it for a long time. And if you go back 20, 30 years ago, uh, 200 million guns were privately owned in America. Now it's more like four. 450 million uh, privately owned guns. If you go back 20 or 30 mm -hmm. years, not every state had a concealed carry law. Now every state has a concealed carry law. You know, when you went back a few years, uh, you had uh, most states did not have constitutional carry. Now a majority of states have constitutional carry. Do these people realize in the California legislature <laughs> that they're running against the tide uh, in, in almost every way you can measure it? Um. I think they realize it, and, and, and I think that is why they are going through their death throes, by throwing up every imaginable gun control law that they can come up with uh, to cram it through the legislative process, uh, to, to, to continue to have a little bit of a vocal platform on this issue for a little bit longer. But they know, because I go to the legislature every opportunity today I get, and I say, this law will be declared unconstitutional, mark my words. I did that last week. They know that to be the fact, and say that still they continue. So that leads us to believe the, the, the obvious. They, they, they want to disarm America, period. And they're going to do everything they possibly can. And now that they're losing, they're running scared because it means that they are not going to have the control that they want to have. I'm talking to Sam Paredes, who's a spokesman for Gun Owners of America. You know, Sam, what I'd love to see Californians do, because when you go to the, 
I've watched from a distance. California may may have crazy people that it sends to Congress and and everywhere else and to Sacramento. But when it comes to initiatives, they tend to vote more conservatively uh, than than you might have thought. Wouldn't it be interesting if you put a ballot measure on and said any change in laws relating to firearms must be put to a vote of the people? You know, go for that piece of it and then just tell the legislature, go ahead, pass that, and it's going to get voted on by the people or it cannot take effect. You think something like that is possible? It is possible. It is possible. Something like that, an initiative in the state of California, practically cost $12 to $15 million Ouch. to run. Now, we have to make the decision. Do we want to spend those 12 to $50 million in the court? in order to achieve the victories that we were achieving to restore and then protect the Second Amendment, or do we want to uh, dedicate them to the, to the electoral process? I don't think that's something we can do simultaneously. I think we, we focus on the court to gain the victories. Then we, we, we move forward with novel ideas like that to hold the politicians' feet to the fire. That's what I'd like to see happen. Sam Paredes is spokesman for Gun Owners of America. Sam, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. If you want to jump into what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers always go first. Check out our Instagram feed. We're also on every kind of social media you can imagine. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest now. the sound of freedom here's lars larson welcome back to the lars larson show it's a monday it's mlk day it's uh, snowy and sunny in the pacific northwest the next couple of days ought to be very interesting because as the temperatures change from very very cold on tuesday to in the 40s high 40s almost 50 degrees on wednesday it's that transition that usually trips us up in any case, glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls. This segment of the show, and it's particularly appropriate today, brought to you by the home power generating folks at ProTech Power. Make sure your loved ones are safe when the power goes out. And as literally hundreds of thousands of you in this region know, after this last weekend, the power does go out and sometimes it stays out for days. Call 541-ONA-GEN. That's 541-ONA-GEN. Our poll on X today, should we forbid land purchases by citizens of countries that will not let Americans buy land in their country, in this case China, although I'd applied it to every other country on planet Earth. If you say foreign nationals, including Americans, can't buy land in your country, then your citizens can't buy land in our country. I imagine that might get some very good popular support, although getting it through the Congress might be another matter. Let's go to Ron. Hey, Ron, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. And I do have to say, uh, the poll on X is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Ron, happy MLK Day. Happy Reverend King's birthday, you betcha. I mean, a lone point, as you know, I'm enjoying this beautiful weather because I'm sort of getting vertilago. I'm turning whiter as I get get younger. <laughs> but nevertheless, the point is, is that uh, Reverend King, if he was alive today, 
this diversity, equity, inclusion is insulting to what he fought in Rip, Billy Graham, Bob Jones, Oral Roberts, or even uh, even others of the civil rights movement of that day. Actors and actresses, all the way from Lauren Bacall, all the way down to Carol O'Connor, who marched in Selma. They don't talk about that because you know the Marxist uh, demo Marxists, as I call them, are blue jack butts. I I would Damn. say that they will always want to divide. Continue their second generation of uh, LBJ's plan of uh, great society. You divide the households, don't have no faith values in the schools. But, you know, the, the devil thinks they won. But in reality, they lost. Look at the actors that stand up that, would, that he would be proud of. Morgan Friedman, Denzel Washington, uh, the lieutenant governors, that's uh, Mark Robinson of North Carolina, um, Winston Sears of uh, Virginia. Look at Byron Donalds, the representative out of out of Florida. Yeah. I mean, I can go down a list of people. Candace Owens, the young generation, and others like that. Officer Tatum and others. But the fact is this. We are trying to bring what he wants. But when you got them to go through and disparage because of diversity, equity, inclusion. To me, equity, I am nobody's property. Nobody owes me nothing. My family tree, as you know, is mixed from Irish all the way down to Scandinavian. And the point is, we as one race, the Reverend King talked about in 61, because he said a black separatist is as bad as a white separatist. There's only one race, our creator, and those that came, that's come to this country recognize the human race. And, 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 and you recall, Ron, a lot of people hearing you say that who are not from that generation wouldn't know that in those days there were black separatists in America. And and there I think black and, because King too. wasn't just talking in theory, he was saying those who believe that we should be separated based on race, whether they're white or black, are both wrong. And we ought to have a colorblind society. I think that's what Dr. King wanted. I mean, when he showed up, that speech that everybody pays so much attention to, the I have a dream speech, and people generally know that famous phrase from the speech. What they may not know is my favorite part of that speech is when he said, we've come to Washington, D.C. to enforce a contract. And the contract is the U.S. Constitution. And the U.S. Constitution didn't say, if you have black skin, you're a victim, and if you have white skin, you're an oppressor. It said you have to treat everybody equally in the eyes of the law, no matter what their skin color, no matter what their gender. That's what he was asking for. I think you're right. He would have hated this idea of d diversity, equity, and inclusion, where literally the head of United Airlines over the weekend, I saw a comment from him saying, you know, we currently only have this percentage of our workforce is female and this percentage of our workforce of pilots is people of color and we're going to go hire more people of color as pilots now that are you hiring them because of their skills and abilities or are you hiring them because they 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 check a certain box that you want to check because if it's the latter uh that's that's going to be a problem well my thing is this we got good news in oregon uh, just this past week, you had Clackamas County kick out their diversity, equity, inclusion yep. situation. Along and with the taxpayers $800,000. That's right. So if you were to kick them out of 36 counties, that's $24 billion, million dollars. That's a but lot of at money. At least, because can you imagine, I don't even know if you could break out, how much do you suppose the bigger counties like King County, Washington, Lane County, uh, around Eugene, Jackson County, and Multnomah County spend on, on DIE. 
and $30,000 every time they speak. The embedded kidneys does not represent my point of view. I am an American. I served my country, took an oath to the Constitution like Reverend Kings did. And here's one last thing we didn't know that What's I that? want to point out. Reverend King, his name was Michael. But I mentioned that. by his dad. Yes. Yep. Because, I, because I he was so impressed that. by what Martin Luther did. And did you know he graduated high school at 15? I did not know that part. He got bumped. He got bumped up a couple of grades, and why? Because of merit. They didn't bump him up because of his skin color. They bumped him up because he was a smart guy. Even though he got a C in public speaking, believe it or not. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show on the Radio Northwest Network.